question of, of, of the night is why serve God? Why serve God? Uh, for those of you who were here this morning, Pastor Burgraff pretty much preached this entire sermon between Sunday school and the Sunday morning service. I had no idea what he was going to be speaking on. So, <laughs> No, but it, there is some repetition here uh, because we're, we're looking at the same book for one thing. We're looking at some of the same ideas and things. But I hope you're able to stimulate your thought tonight towards this question. As I, as I subtitled here, you know, uh, you, you, might, you, know, you might say, well, duh, you know, why serve God? I mean, that seems pretty obvious, right? Well, if it's such a dumb question, why don't more people do it? <laughs> really? I mean, do you know people who you think should be serving God and aren't? Of course. Do you know that in your life sometimes you're probably not serving God as you should? Yeah, I think so. Me too. I can say that too. But let me clarify something real quick. People, people think sometimes that I believe that everybody should be a missionary, like me, you know, and go off somewhere else and all of that. I don't believe that. Most of you should, but not everybody. <laughs> I don't believe that at all. And that is not the only way to serve God. Being a pastor, being in the ministry, as we call it, is not the only way to serve God, by no means. Unfortunately, we slip into those kinds of thoughts, those thought patterns sometimes, and even those of us who are in the preaching and teaching ministry might, you know, tend to get a little bit imbalanced sometimes with that. And I, as a missionary coming back to America, I might tend to overemphasize that idea sometimes as well. It's a possibility. Uh, but uh, that is not what we're talking about tonight. That the only thing you can do is what I do and the way I do things or, or be a missionary or be a pastor or something like that. Serving God, and we'll, we'll talk about what serving God is a little bit as we look tonight. We want to look tonight at a passage of Scripture in Malachi chapter 3. Might seem like a little bit of a strange place to go for something like this. The last book of the Old Testament, Malachi, or as some people like to say, it's the Italian prophet Malachi. I had to get that one in. I rarely preach from this book, so, you know. And it doesn't work in Portuguese, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Malachi, prophet of God, and the whole book starts out with him saying he has a burden on him. He has this heaviness. It's the prophecy that God's giving him, the, the things that God is revealing to uh, God's people and others through this prophet that are a burden to him. And there are things here that are burdensome. There are things here that are heavy. There are things here that, that, that make us stop and ponder. And I think that we all understand that sometimes that's necessary. Uh, if you have children or grandchildren, you're around them, there's, there are times when you have to stop them and turn their heads toward you and say, hey, look at me and listen for a moment, you know, because they're distracted, they're, they're kids, they're doing what kids do. And sometimes you have to just get their attention. And that's what God does through the prophets and, and, and other, other places in the Bible as well. But he calls on his people and he says, hey, I got something to talk to you about here. You need to listen to this. I need you to pay attention. And so it's a bit of a burden for Malachi, but there are a lot of really great things that he gets to say here as well. We're only going to take a chunk out of this. We're going to take a, pe a, a, a portion of this uh, this um, uh, this book we're going to look in chapter number three, 
And uh, the context leading up to what we're going to read, we're going to start reading in in verse 10. The context leading up, uh, some people are probably going to say, oh boy, here we go. The missionary is going to come in here and talk about money. Uh, They want want our money. I'm not really going to talk about money tonight, although it comes into it, uh, obviously, in the passage here. But the, the context shows us that God has an argument with the people, and some of it does have to do with money, but it goes way beyond that. So um, he, he says, before we get down to ver, uh, verse number 10, he talks about, uh, and it's several times in this, this book, God's kind of carrying on a conversation, and he's kind of giving both sides of the conversation. He said, you say this, but I'm going to say this. You, you think it's this way, but let me tell you, this is what it's really like. And in this particular passage, we get some of that too up in, in uh, for example, verse number eight, he says, will a man rob God? Just throws out a question, you know. He said, yet ye have robbed me. Makes a declaration to the people that they, that they have robbed him. They have robbed God. And, he, and, and the people say, but ye say, God's, but ye say, wherein have we robbed thee? People stop and go, wait a minute. What are you talking about, God? We haven't robbed you. We haven't taken anything that is yours. We're going to see through the the next part of this passage, starting in verse 10, the same kind of idea, how that people are looking at things the wrong way, and that causes them a great deal of confusion. And God said, yeah, you've robbed me in the the area of tithes and and offerings. You're, You're not doing what you're supposed to do in this area. So we get to our passage here, and he says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. God says there's something here you should be doing. This is according to the law. This is the way you're supposed to be uh, dealing with things. And you're not doing that. You need to start doing that. And if you will do that, there will be a blessing that comes with it. And he says, and I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes. This is the results. This is the continuation of that blessing that he brings up the last part of chapter, uh, verse 10. I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground. Just generally speaking, uh, you'll be able to plant and you'll be able to reap, and there won't be anyone coming in. There won't be any marauders, or there won't be any other kings coming in to wipe out all the hard work that you've done. It's going to be okay. I'm here with you to take care of you. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. We have, as I said, a camp facility. Most of you know about it, the Mount of Olives. We have 500 olive trees. We did not buy the property because of the olive trees. We bought the property because we needed a place to have camp. It just happened to have 500 olive trees on it. So (laughs) we've learned a few things about agriculture that we really didn't know before, and in particular about trees. This is talking about a vine here, of course, the vineyard with the grapes. But the concept is, is pretty much the same with any kind of fruit-bearing tree or vine or whatever it is. You get situations where the, the climate conditions are not right at harvest time. Uh, you may get a dry spell when you need what the Bible calls the latter rains. You need a, a special rain at the end time. We harvest typically about the 1st of November. And if we don't get some good rains from the middle of October forward, um, what happens is those olives start drying up before they're fully ripe. And they will tend to fall off the tree, just like a, the grapes off the vine, and hit the ground. Now, there's some value still in them at that point, but it's very little. You're probably talking about 20% of the olive oil uh, that way that you would have if they had been able to mature and if we had been able to go there and pick them off the tree still in their vibrant state. So this is the kind of idea. These, God is saying, you take care of what I'm telling you here, and I'm going to bless you in that the conditions are going to be there for you to be successful. 
And he said, All nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. And then he says, Here we go to that conversation again. He said, Your words have been stout against me. You've spoken some harsh things, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, What have we spoken so much against thee? Ye have said, God says, It is vain to serve God. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? And that we have walked mournfully before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the proud happy. Yea, that work wickedness, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, that tempt God, uh, they that tempt God are even delivered. He's talking, of course, about the tithing here specifically. And what is the tithing all about? It was how uh, God set it up for the worship system in the temple to be taken care of. They had people in charge of that. They had the priests. They had the, the, the people who were dealing with that area of things. And people tithed, gave a portion of their income or their, their goods or whatever it was in order for that to function. So we're talking about worship here in general. We're talking about a specific thing, but in general, we're talking about the concept of worship. The context here is worship. What is worship? Worship is service to God. Wait a minute. You're talking about temple worship and and you might get a little confused here. That's because we just, and Pastor Berger, I've explained this pretty well, or very well this morning, sorry, very well this morning about worship. And worship is so much more than what we think of it so many times. Uh, we do think about the temple worship. Well, they had certain music and they had certain readings of scripture and they had certain rituals and all of these things, certainly. But that was only a very small portion of what true service to God was all about. But it was symbolic of it. As we had the baptisms uh, this evening, the beautiful pictures there of the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the beautiful display by each person who was baptized of their commitment to him and saying, I want to live for him. I want to serve him. That uh, ceremony in itself didn't have anything in it to take away any sins or to make them uh, a different person. They, They came out of the water the same person they went in. But they wanted to let everybody know who they already were, that they were believers in the Lord Jesus Christ and they had accepted him as their personal savior. And so it has great worth, but it is not all of worship in itself. We come and we sing praises to God just as they did in the temple. And that's great and a great part of our worship, but that's not all there is. We can't walk out of here after singing praises and say, we have done it. We can stop worshiping God and move on to other things. Even the preaching of the word and the teaching of the Bible in this place, it's extremely important and it is part of our worship and our prayer time and all these different things. But we tend to categorize things so many times and say, when that's done, I'll stop worshiping. Now I'll go do other things. Well, is that really what worship is all about? Some definitions here from the original words in the first place, and and we won't get into a lot of detail about it, but there's a primary Hebrew word there and and some things, and it it means to depress, it says prostate, um, pay homage to, uh, bow down, crouch, fall before, to prostate yourself before someone. And then in the Greek words, they have three different words that are are used also for that. Uh, The first one meaning to kiss, and the, the, this example is used in pretty much ex, any explanation you come to this word. They talk about like a dog licking his master's hand. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you have a dog, but I have a dog. And uh, when, he, when, when he knows I'm mad at him, there's a couple of things he does. First of all, he rolls over on his back and just kind of cringes, you know. And I don't beat the dog, okay? 
If, if you ask him, he'll tell you that I do, but I don't beat the dog, all right? But he'll cringe because he knows that I'm unhappy with him. And then when I tell him, okay, it's over, you know, I try to, I try to deal with him right, you know, I scold him and whatever, you know. And then when it's over, I tell him everything's okay. And then what does he do? He comes up and he starts licking on me. I tell him to stop that too because I don't like it. But I understand he's trying to make up and he's trying to say, and he's saying, you're the boss. I get it. You're in charge, you know. And so that's this idea of worship. It's to, to show that you are subservient to the other person, all right? Uh, the second one says to reverence, to hold in awe, and then down at the bottom there, to render religious service, a more specific type of worship. And then we get it in, into the English language, and uh, they're, they're, uh, the, the roots of this in English are from Old English, a word that was worship. Isn't that a cool word? The word worship actually came out of an older English word, worthship, something that has worth. And when we worship, when we bow down, when we bend the knee before something or someone, we're ascribing worth to that person or to that object. Um, you know, sometimes you have to wonder who's serving whom. Uh, the, 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 it's just whatever it is you bow down to. Whatever it is that you give that place to, and I'm not condemning television, all right? I'm just trying to be cute here. Promises given here in this book, in this passage, to people who serve God. He goes on beyond uh, the tithe and all of that. He says this is all going to happen, and, these are, and there are promises to you. I'm going to bless you if you'll just deal with things like, like, I'm, like I've told you to do. If you'll just serve me like I've told you to do, you're going to have all these things, these things taken care of. But, you know, we're human beings, and uh, we have that tendency to push back, don't we? And that's what he says here. You, you, you've come against me with these strong, these stout words. That's another, another kind of a cool word, isn't it? We know what stout means. It means strong. And in this case, it's harsh. It's like holding up a hand and saying, no, let's don't do that. And, and God says that and people say, but we haven't done that. We haven't really done that. I mean, let's, let's just be honest. I, I, you know, the, the, the people there, they were, they were God's people. They were his chosen people. And uh, I can just imagine people saying, when God says you've been speaking harshly against me, I just imagine people going, you know, I, I haven't said that God doesn't exist. I know God exists. I, I haven't said that, that I shouldn't even, I haven't even said I shouldn't serve God. That's not really, I haven't said that. But what, I, what, what they have said, and they don't really contest this one, is in verse 14, it's vain to serve him. Vain means empty, it's worthless. There's no, there's no worth ship in serving God, which is a contradiction in itself. And what profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked mournfully before the Lord? And, and then he goes on with some other things. He says, you've spoken these things again. And the people say, who, me? God, I, I haven't done this. And that's our reaction many times when, he, when we come across teaching in the word of God and we don't allow it to, to, to come to us. And we think we're really okay many times. We think that, hey, I, I haven't done those really bad things. I, and yet, what is the argument that God's really making against them? What are the stout things that they have said against God that it's vain to serve him? That it's empty, that it's unimportant to serve God. The motivation in everything is, is always key. It's so important to see why we do what we do. Not so much what we do always, but why we do what we do. The people were saying, why bother to serve God? What really is the point in doing it? The problem is, 
this kind of attitude, what profit is it? What's in it for me? What am I getting out of serving God? You know, I, I, I've done it. I've read the Bible and I've seen what God wanted me to do and I started doing some of those things. Where did it get me? What did I really get out of it? That's kind of the attitude that we're seeing. And then the part we've walked mournfully. Uh, you know, I've done that to the point of even sacrifice. And of course, the context here is in the giving for the worship in the temple and all of that. I've, I've done it even to the point of sacrifice. But what good has it actually done for me? Where's the benefit to me in all of this? If we're not careful, we'll fall into these kinds of attitudes. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men. You're, you're giving to others, the religious, specifically religious giving here to the poor, to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, do not sound a trumpet before thee. No, nothing against trumpets. Okay. Uh, trumpet before thee, as hypocrites do in the synagogues, they would go and have somebody blow a trumpet to say, hey, look, everybody, here comes the, here comes the really good guy, the really religious guy. And he's going to, and he gets glory for that. He gets glory of men. And the last phrase there, Jesus said, if, if that's what you want, you've already got it. People are praising you for being great. Fantastic. In our camps, we have, uh, we have money for the kids to buy stuff in the store. And it's not real money. It kind of is. I guess real money is stuff that's worth something that you can buy something with. And so in that sense, it's real money. We stock up the store with goofy stuff, fun stuff, whatever. Not food stuff, just toys and gizmos and whatever. And, uh, and throughout the week, there's a few things that they can buy in the store. And at the end of the week, we have the big sale and everybody's trying to save up money to buy the big stuff in there, you know. Maybe the big stuffed snake that's up in the rafters. or any, You know, there's certain things that they like get their eye on and that's what I'm going to get. Well, the money we call, we call it the azeitona and that's a big word for olive. That's a Portuguese word, means olive. So we have olives in the, and our money's totally inflated. Terribly inflated. You can't buy anything for less than about 50,000 olives over there, you know. But we have paper money. Barb usually makes it up with faces of the different people working in the camp on it. So we're pretty famous over there, you know. And, and throughout the week, they have to... We, first of all, we give them grace money in the beginning of the week. We give them a certain amount of money. And we say, this is grace money. And this partly is for teaching, you know. Teach them what grace means. This money you didn't work for. We just give this to you free. You didn't do a thing. It's not because you're good. It's not because you've done something. It's just because we want to give it to you. And it has some worth. Here you go. And then throughout the week, we teach them, excuse me, the rest of the story. (laughs) That once you get the grace, you can work to receive more or less. You can have reward or loss of reward. (laughs) And that's the way it works. And when, when I teach the counselors and I teach the other people that are working, that if they try to do something to get some money, like if they do a, if they do a good deed, we give them money, right? If they see some trash on the floor and they go pick it up, we give them money for that. Or if they help somebody out or whatever. But if they do this, they come up and they say, I'm going to pick this trash up now, Right in front of a counselor, you know. I'm going to pick this up and put it in the garbage. And I tell the counselors, here's what you respond with. Thank you very much. You have your reward. They don't get any money, you see. Because we're teaching them these kinds of things too. Motivations, you see. Motives are important. These attitudes that these people had and that come into our service so many times as well can lead to some real problems. There in verse 15, he says, and now we call the proud happy. 
Yea, they that work wickedness are set up. Yea, that tempt God are even delivered. I look around me, this person says, and I see that the people who are not serving God are doing okay. They're doing better than okay. The ones that are haughty and resist God and arrogant, they're proud, they seem to be happy. They seem to be living a good life because they're doing what they want to do, you see. And the ones that work wickedness even, I mean, that's even worse. The ones that are actually doing mean stuff, they're okay too. Everything's going fine for them. Maybe they're cheating somebody in there, getting away with it. And we look at that and we say, that's just not fair. That's just not fair. And we look at our service to God and we say, Where, what, what good is it? What am I getting out of this? See, the problem is that's the wrong question, isn't it? If we're doing it for that reason, then yeah, we're going to have that kind of problem. We're going to have that kind of attitude. We're going to have that kind of bitterness. We're going to get jealous of other people who have things. We could even get mean. Because we look at people who are, after all, uh, you know, the, the, the man who stood up in the, in the temple and said, I thank you, God, I'm not like this sinner over here, you know. And the publican beat on his chest and said, God, be merciful unto me, a sinner. And Jesus said, which one of them left there justified? And the disciples got it. He said, the one that asked for forgiveness, he's the one, yeah. But we get hate, we get bitter towards those who are prospering because I'm still, I'm serving God. I've, I've walked mournfully. I've had sacrifice. I've had difficulties because I've been serving God. Philippians chapter 2 tells us to do all things without murmurings and disputings. And there's a reason for this too. There's always a reason. There's always a why. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Do you see the, do you see the purpose in this? area of not even murmuring and disputing. It doesn't say here that that whoever he's admonishing is not doing things. They're doing things. But he said, when you do it, do it without murmurings and disputings so that you can shine as a light in the world. But see, that comes back to our desire, doesn't it? That comes to why we're serving. If you look back in your text there in, uh, in Malachi chapter 3, uh, one of the blessings that he gives, the last part of the blessings he gives in verse number 12, he says, all nations shall call you blessed. If you follow these instructions, all these things are going to happen, and all nations shall call you blessed, for ye shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. God said, I want other nations to see how I've blessed you and want to get in on it. That was the ultimate purpose in his blessing. Not just to be kind to them, although he was wanting to be kind to them, but so that they could shine as lights in the world. Our attitude so many times, is God really there to meet my needs? Is he there? Is he, I don't see it. I don't see God taking care of the things that I want him to take care of. Is the church, isn't it, doesn't the church exist to meet my needs? Isn't that why I have a church to go to? So that I can be taken care of? Certainly, as a church, we want to meet the needs of people. But as a part of the church myself, my motivation should not be I need a church so they can take care of my needs. You see the, the difference in the way of seeing things? Matthew chapter 2, this, is, this to me is just kind of a neat situation. Um, you know, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus and Peter having this conversation, Peter began to say unto Jesus there, we've left all and we followed you. We've left it all. And Jesus said, sure you have, sure. But let me tell you, it's going to be okay because if you've done all of this for my sake and for the gospel's sake, you're going to receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses, brethren, sisters, and mothers, 
and children and lands. And I love being a missionary because I get to go all over the place. I've been in a lot of neat places around the world and I have led people to the Lord by the grace of God. And I've met other people that I've been able to encourage in the Lord. And I've just had good fellowship with people in places all over the United States, all over the world. It's fantastic. So if I've left anything behind, I have reward here on this earth, even not even counting what I'm going to have in heaven, you know. It's fantastic. I have houses anywhere I go. People open a door to me. I don't, I don't get that. I'm kind of scary, you know. But I come here, somebody gives me a place to stay. I go to Virginia, somebody gives me a place to stay. I go to, you, you name the state in this country and just about, I know somebody there that'll put me up. <laughs> you know, just the way it is. I can do that in Portugal, Spain, Lithuania, Latvia, um, Ukraine, uh, just all over the place. <laughs> so, you know, if I say I've given anything up, I've gained a whole lot from it. But all of this blessing, Jesus also says, will come with persecutions. <laughs> Peter's saying, he's kind of complaining, I guess, I don't know, but he's pointing out, look what I've done. (laughs) I've left it all, we've left it all, and we're following you. And Jesus said, you're going to be repaid, and one of the payments coming through here is going to be persecution too. Yikes. That doesn't fit into God meeting my needs the way I see things, and the church meeting my needs the way I see, see things. Yeah, God's going to take care of everything, but in the middle of all of that, there's still going to be persecution. Yea, all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Will live, shall suffer. Will live. That has to do with your will. That has to do with your volition. Those who make a decision to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Okay? Two different ideas in there. John chapter 21, Jesus talks to Peter and he says, Here's, I, need you, I want you to serve me, Peter, because I want you to feed my sheep. We all know that. We like the sound of that, right? We want to help people out. We want, to, we want to feed the sheep. But the question comes before that, Peter, before I can give you any instructions here, I need to know where your heart is. I need to know what motivates you. I need to know why you would do something or not. Do you love me? He could have said, just go feed my sheep. He's the Lord. He has the right to do that. Peter, go shepherd the people. Go take care of them. But first he said, Peter, let's examine your heart. Peter, you examine your heart real quick here. And why are you doing what you're doing? He said, Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yeah. Lord, you know I do. Three times Jesus asked him. And finally Jesus said, okay. Well, each time he said, Feed my sheep. Take care of people. Serve me by serving others. And then we have a second pass, part of this, and I'll be, I'll be really fast here. He said, then, when? When everybody's looking at those people who are getting away with everything, when everybody's looking at the ones who are not doing right and they're getting away with it, he says, then they that feared the Lord, not the others who are complaining. You see, we have two groups of people here. And that's the case, it seems like always. We have two groups of people. Even amongst the children of God, we have two groups of people. The others who said, it's not fair. I'm not getting what I want. What's in it for me? But then there were those who looked at all that and they feared the Lord. Pastor Burgraff explained the fear of the Lord really well this morning. 
Then he said, the ones that fear the Lord spoke, spake often one to another. Huh. They that feared it spake. Uh, John Bunyan got this quote from me. He said, well, God comes to bring a soul news of mercy and salvation. Even that visit, think about it. That's the moment when the love of God is so real and so present the very moment when you just, you look at it and the grace and the mercy of God is pouring down out of heaven. And John Bunyan says it well here. He says, even at that moment, even that visit, that presence of God is fearful. In God's presence, even our best things, our comeliness, our sanctity, our righteousness, they all immediately turn to corruption and polluted rags, just as Isaiah 64, 6 says. Even the moment of more, the most beautiful, ooh, Brother Sterling talking about when he, you know, the, when he asked the Lord to save him and he understood and, and how it just filled his heart with joy and, and, and that's so great, you know, and it's true. But that, even that moment comes with this understanding that there is a holy God who demands that his holiness be fulfilled and that sin be paid for. As Pastor Tony has told us very clear, clearly and, and well tonight, that that comes because God punished your sin and my sin in the person of Jesus Christ. There's a fear, there's a, there is a seriousness and a reverence to any moment with God. Then they that feared the Lord, when? Back there. And then they call those people and the proper response is, well, I'm not getting what I want out of it. <laughs> No, that's not the proper response. The proper response is the church isn't meeting my needs. God's not fair. No, the proper response is don't quit. Don't quit serving the Lord because of that. Just examine your heart and see if your motivation is right. Then they that fear the Lord spake often one to another. God knows what's going on. The book of remembrance is that God, it was written before God in a book of member, uh, remembrance for them that feared the Lord. And it probably, you know, harkens back to the way kings did back there. You remember the story of Mordecai and the king, Ahasuerus, uh, uh, whatever it's pronounced anyway, that, that king, Persian king, you know. And, uh, and Mordecai was being persecuted by uh, Haman and all of that stuff. And, and yet there was a book that had told how, how Mordecai had saved the king's life in the past and the king maybe he didn't even know about it, but he certainly didn't remember it. And then when he saw it, he said, have we taken care of that guy? No. Well, here it is. The book of remembrance comes up. Mordecai gets taken care of very well. (laughs) He doesn't get killed like he was going to. And his enemy gets killed instead. God has got a better book than the king did. God has got a perfect book. He knows what's going on. We We think he's forgotten us sometimes. We think he doesn't see what's happening. And we complain to him and, God, you're not being fair. You're not being just. But just like in Mordecai's case there, uh, God knows. God's going to take care of it. Then they that feared the Lord, what'd they do? They did not forsake the assembly. They didn't run off and hide and say, it's not working, I'll just go on my own. They said, no, I need to get with the other people who are fearing the Lord as well. We need to sit down together and we need to encourage one another. We need to, we need to study the word together. We need to see what's going on here. Forsake not the assembling of yourselves together, the Bible tells us, as, as a matter of some is, but much more as you see the day approaching, the day of the Lord is approaching. You don't just go off and hide and throw up your hands and say it's not worth it. Why? Because I'm not getting what I think I should get. They stopped and they thought and they turned their eyes upon Jesus. They, con- they thought about God. They considered and meditated upon the name of Almighty God. And that changed their entire 
outlook. They just stopped and went, wait a minute. It's not about me. It can't be about me. If it's about him, then all these details don't really matter. Who gets more money or who gets the better car or who gets whatever. That doesn't matter. You know, I, I ask you, do you have tonight the same sense of what it is to serve God as these people who were just baptized? You know, come on, you know they came out of there saying, this is it. I have no doubt in my mind that I'm going to serve God and I don't care what other people do and I don't care how well it goes for them or how it doesn't. They just got baptized. I mean, they took a huge step of obedience to God and they're excited about what's going on. But then down the road, but God, (laughs) but God, what about me? What about me? And the question tonight is not what about me, but what about him? What about him? A different thought process in this second group than the first one? They're thinking on him. And it changed everything. You cannot, if you are, especially if you're a born-again child of God, you cannot sit down and meditate on the person of God for any amount of time and not have your stinking thinking sorted out. You can't do it. You can still disobey it if you want to, but your mind's going to be changing around. It's called repentance, <laughs> and that's going to happen. Then they that feared the Lord. The first group, what were they thinking about? Second group, what were they thinking about? What are you thinking about? What are you thinking about tonight? Where's your focus? Why serve God? Where are your eyes tonight? Looking unto Jesus? Or trying to see what God can do for you and what the church can do for you? And I mean, where is it? God said, You're thinking wrong, people. <laughs> He's just thinking wrong. We think we're okay so many times. Because our complaint is not, I, well, I believe in God, yeah. I don't, I'm not an atheist. I'm serving God. As long as I feel like I'm getting what I need out of it, it'll, it'll keep going that way too. I want you to just think about these things tonight. I'm going to call Pastor Burgraff up here in just a moment to close out the service. But I just want you to consider this tonight. First of all, you, you, you can try to serve God all you want to, but if you don't really know him, if you don't know him personally, you're just going to be spinning your wheels. Because you're going to try to do it the way you think is right. That's natural. That's normal. But you're going to fail as a servant of God. You need to know him. And you know what? He's made himself known to us. He's given you the opportunity to know him personally. We got a book here given to us by Almighty God, inspired by him, spoken to men, through men, to us. Just like the prophet Malachi here. And it will show you who he is and how he is and what he is and what he wants to do with you and for you and how he wants to change your focus. But the first step is bowing your knee before him and recognizing him as worthy of all possible service to him. At that point, your whole way of thinking will change. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior tonight, you're not sure about that. Pastor Burgraff will tell you what you need to do about that. Please, please, please 
Take this opportunity. We got people here that'll help you get there. They'll help you understand this. And then, if you're a child of God tonight, where's your focus? Where's your focus? Have you, have you got to the point of maybe not completely, but maybe you're on the edge, you know? Why serve God? Just doesn't seem like I'm getting anything out of it. The collateral benefits of serving God are tremendous. You just get all kinds of blessings like he promised the people of Israel. But you don't go there for that. You go there because you do know him. And you think on him and you meditate on his name. And you understand a little bit more and a little bit more of who he is. And you just, like these guys coming out of the baptism, baptistry tonight, you just can't help but serve him. You just can't help it.